0: Thanks for listening to the Cool Church Podcast. We're praying that wherever you are on this journey, that this message encourages you. And we want you to know that you were created out of love. And now, here's today's message with our very own Pastor Terrence Wilson. 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 37. It's a very obscure verse that I'm about to read, and I'm actually reading to you the end of the story, and then we'll talk about how we get here, okay? Um, so here we go, 2 Kings, I'm still preaching on Hezekiah, I started that last week, uh, and I got, I got a couple more messages on Hezekiah, man, it's just a lot of stuff in this life that's speaking to me right now, and I hope that it blesses each and every one of you. So if you're online, welcome, thank you for being here with us. We love you. Y'all give it up for the online family one time. 2 Kings 18.37 says, Then Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, uh, Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the recorder, went to Hezekiah. In short, these were Hezekiah's three homies. They were like the top three uh, in his kingdom and they reported everything that went, went on with him. So it says, with their clothes torn with their clothes torn they told him what the field commander had said and the church said say so I don't know why I'm saying amen to that I don't know what that means. I'm going to let you know in a second but if you're taking notes, last week I preached a message called all I do is win. Are there any winners out there? Make some noise. This week, as we continue to talk about Hezekiah, I want to preach another message called How to Win a Losing Battle. How to Win a Losing Battle. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this day. For this is the day that you have made. God, let us rejoice and be glad in it. God, I thank you before the earth began to spin on its axis, you knew each and every human that was going to be in this place today. I pray that I would lie down as you rise up. Don't let these words be my own, but let them come directly from your throne room of grace. Open hearts, minds, and ears to be open and receptive to a word that's always only going to be about Jesus. God, I pray for the one that needs to hear this word the most. I pray that by the time it's all said and done, somebody has a relationship with Jesus. And God, I pray for the person right now that feels like they're losing. God, when we have you, even if we feel like we're losing, we never lose. We never lose. So God, I pray for the person that feels like giving up, Person that feels like throwing in the towel, let them know if they don't quit, they win. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, everybody said, take about five seconds and give Jesus a shout of praise in this place today. How to win a losing battle. So, I started with this really obscure verse with these three homies of Hezekiah, and what happens in this story that I'll I'll talk about is that the field commander of Assyria, the Assyrians were trying to conquer Judah. Judah is the southern kingdom whose capital is Jerusalem. Um, Israel was the northern kingdom whose capital was Samaria. Now, here's the thing. The 12 tribes of Israel were split up amongst the two kingdoms. Ten of the tribes were a part of the northern kingdom, but they were defiant. They did not listen to God, and God sent the Assyrian army to conquer them and send them into exile because of their disobedience. So... In the 345 year span of kings that Israel has, we are now probably at about the 120 uh, year mark, 120 years left in their in their kingship, and the northern kingdom has been conquered. So all that's left now is the southern kingdom, Judea, Judah, excuse me, which is made up of two tribes. One is the tribe of Judah. We know that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, and the church said. And the other tribe mostly was the tribe of Benjamin, And there was a couple of the tribe of Simeon mixed in there, but a lot of them were in Israel as well. So Hezekiah, the reason we're reading about him, because many of the kings were corrupt. But unlike the rest of the kings, Hezekiah was one of those kings that said, I got to get the people back to God. I gotta make sure that they're following God. Hezekiah's uh, name means Jehovah is my strength or the Lord is my strength. So somewhere along the line, even though he had a terrible father named Ahaz, he still knew that God was his strength and he did not want to displease God. So as a king, the first thing he did is throw out all the idols and all the, the he broke all the altars and cut down all the Asherah poles. Uh, the God of Asherah was uh, was a Canaanite goddess and her, her, her whole thing was about like uh, uh, abundance and, and pleasure and, and and wealth but that wasn't God those 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 things that they were looking for come from God but but man was looking uh, for in in other false gods so Hezekiah I man he comes in and cleans house and when he does this it pleases God and the Bible says Hezekiah was successful at whatever he did everything that he did But now, the Assyrians, they have their sights set on Judah, the southern kingdom, because they've already conquered the northern kingdom, and Hezekiah is the king of the southern kingdom. So, the Assyrians conquer all the surrounding territories in Judah, and the last place they have to conquer is Jerusalem. This has now become Hezekiah's stronghold and he's held up there with his people, trying not to back down, trying not to give in. So the Assyrian king, he sends his field commander, like one of his generals, he goes to the aqueduct that's at the city. Why? Because they know if they cut off the water supply, they can cut off uh, the resources for the people. Let me tell you something, the enemy thinks he's slick. If he can't get you, he'll cut off the things, he'll try to cut off the things that supply you because he knows if you can't be resourced then eventually you're gonna submit. Be careful when you see the resources being cut because when the resources are being cut, it makes you feel like you are not being resourced and it makes you feel like you have to give in. This is why I don't allow money to be my resource. I don't allow people to be my resource. I know that God is my resource because the enemy cannot cut off that supply. He might be able to cut off my money for a little bit. He might be able to cut off some people from around me for a little bit, but he cannot cut me off from my God. So as long as I have God it doesn't matter if the resources are looking low I still have hope knowing as long as I got God if he can get it to me he can get it through me like Yari was saying if you believe it say amen enemy wants to cut off your supply he may be able to cut off your supply but don't let him cut off your God that was that was for y'all I didn't get that to the first service so he goes and tries to cut off the supply. And 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 this 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 field this field general, if you will, he comes and says, Hey, where's Hezekiah? I got I got a message from the king. Well, Hezekiah sends out his three homies. And when the Assyrian commander gives the message, it frustrates these men so much, Hezekiah's three homeboys, that the Bible says that they tear their clothes. Why would they tear their clothes when they hear this message from this field commander of Assyria? They tore their clothes because in Jewish culture there's a word called Kahra.. kahra. And what kahra, it means it means to rend. It means to tear. It means to rip your garments in anguish, in anguish and in anger because of death. So, We've seen many times in the Bible some people were frustrated because somebody's died, right? And the Bible says that they tear their clothes. They, they're, they're doing it because this is not a verbal frustration that they are showing. It's a physical, it's like there's not enough words to describe how angry, how upset, how terrified, how, how fearful, how, how depressed I really am. So instead of me, instead of me talking it out loud, I'm gonna tear my clothes because that's a visible sign to everybody I'm going through some stuff. How many of y'all ever been through some stuff? So they would tear their clothes to show, me I'm going through it. So much so to the point of death, like why'd they tear their clothes? Because they heard something from the Assyrian field commander that made them think they were gonna die. They were gonna lose this fight. He already trying to cut off our resources. Now he got this message from the Assyrian king. We've seen they've taken over all of the fort, the, the fortified places around us. We stuck, we surrounded, we just stuck here in Jerusalem. They gonna kill us, we gonna die. And because they were so frustrated, they tore their clothes. That's the end of the story. And as I read that, them tearing their clothes, it made me think about this question that I'm gonna ask you. These guys were surrounded on all sides by a more powerful army. They did not know what to do and they knew that they were next. So they tore their clothes because they were scared that they were gonna die. And I wanna ask you, have you ever felt like you've been in a fight of your life? Is that just me? There's been times, man, in my life where I feel like I'm in the fight of my life. And while you're in that fight, let me ask you this. When you're in that fight, do you often feel like, man, I'm fighting a battle I can't win? I'm, f- I'm fighting a losing battle, man. Like, like what, what, do I, what do I do? I'm surrounded, man. Like, I know that, you know, if God is for me, who could, he could stand against me. But it don't feel good right now. Like, this, this this Christian life, I know it's the right thing to do, but, like, if I could be honest, like, if I could be honest, God, like, I'm scared for my life right now. I, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Osiris captured everybody else. This is the last stronghold. They're terrified up into the point of death. They tear their clothes. Their options are running out. So what does Hezekiah do? Hezekiah is a leader that cares more about the people than himself. So he says, you know what? I don't want everybody to perish. Maybe I can make a deal with this Assyrian king. If I, if I make this deal, then you know the people will be saved. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll be able to keep some shred of, of dignity and he won't exile us like he's exiled everybody else. And oftentimes, I want you to understand this, you have to stop being so critical of your leaders because your leaders are trying to make decisions that don't benefit them. They're trying to make sure they make decisions that benefit you was Hezekiah's best decision in front of him? No, he was about to make a really bad decision, but he did it because he was concerned for the people that he was leading. And what he tries to do, he says, man, I can't beat this king in a fight. Our armies, they just don't even match up. So, I'm going to see if we could just make peace. I'm going to see if I could." negotiate with him so that he leaves us alone. I mean, he's conquered everything else. Maybe he'll just leave us and our little kingdom alone. So he tries to make peace with the king. I just want to say this, and I hope you hear this. As believers, all we do is win, but at times it feels like we're losing. You heard what I said? At time it feels like we're losing. Please do not submit to your feelings. Feelings are fleeting, feelings are futile. Just because you feel a certain way does not mean that that is the reality of the situation. You gotta keep your eyes fixed and focused on Jesus instead of keeping your eyes fixed and focused on your feelings. Because if all you do is look at yourself and how you feel, you'll never be able to fully see the victory that Jesus has in front of you. Don't submit to your feelings. Because I got Christ in my life, even when I'm feeling like I'm losing, I know I'm actually winning. Don't allow your feelings to make you feel like a loser when God made you to be a winner. So what do you do when you feel like you're fighting a losing battle? Four things I I just want to point out that Hezekiah does, and hopefully they bless your life the way that they bless mine. The first is this. When you feel like... You are fighting a losing battle. Never forget, you got to stop making deals with the enemy. If somebody just listened to that, that would just change their life. Stop making deals with the enemy. Say, well, what do you mean? Well, let's see what Hezekiah does when he feels like he's fighting a losing battle. 2 Kings 18, 13 through 16 read like this. In the fourth year of King Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. I already described that to you. So Hezekiah, listen to what he does, king of Judah, sent a message to the king of Assyria at Lancashire. I, he says, I have done wrong. Now he's like, he's, he's admitting to something that wasn't even true, just trying to get on the right side of the king. He says, I have done wrong, withdraw from me. I will pay whatever you demand of me. The king of Assyria exacted from Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. This is like hundreds of thousands of dollars. It doesn't sound like a lot, but in today's it's hundreds of thousands. So Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the temple of the Lord and in the treasuries of the royal palace. At this time, Hezekiah, king of Judah, stripped off the gold with which he had covered the doors and the doorposts of the temple of the Lord and gave it to the king of Assyria. I need you to read that and understand how desperate Hezekiah was. Hezekiah got so desperate, he started taking resources from God's house and giving them to the enemy. He started stripping down things that the people had given To bless God to give them to an enemy that did not care anything about him. Hezekiah was trying to make a deal. He was trying to bargain. If I give the king what he wants then maybe he will just leave us alone. If if you look at this this was not Hezekiah's finest moment and I want you to understand I'm showing you this and I'm reading you this because I want you to understand how much like Hezekiah was like us because oftentimes hey we love Jesus everybody love Jesus in this place but we be going through some stuff Hezekiah was having a I trust God but moment I trust God but how many of you ever had a I trust God but moment not y'all I'm I'm talking to me because maybe it's just me that has these moments it's like God I trust you but this bank account ain't looking like something God, I, I trust you to raise these children you gave me, but these children, I gotta say it like that, these children is going crazy. God, I, I know, you know, that that you could that you could heal me and that by your stripes I am healed, but, did you hear what the doctor just said? You healed me of cancer that first time, but not, not, not it was in remission for a while, but now they just said that they saw something on the scan that they wasn't seeing before. I trust you, but, Anybody ever had an I trust God, but moment? I've had those moments. And Hezekiah, as much as he loved the Lord, he was still human. He had an I trust God, but moment. So instead of fully trusting God to deliver him from the Assyrian king, he tries to make a deal with the enemy. Here's the problem. If you've ever made a bad deal, you know it always costs you more in the long run. Bad deals, man, they might seem like they decent right now, but they always cost you more in the long run. He gave the king exactly what he wanted and the reality was it wasn't enough. He wanted more. I know something about making bad deals. I've made a bad deal before. I never forget when Uh, I was going to college. I had a little bit of scholarship, but I had to take out student loans. I'm just being transparent, I'm being real. I was a young man. When I went to college, I was 17 years old and I was trying to figure everything out. It was the first time I'd ever moved away uh, from South Florida. I was living in Baltimore, Maryland by myself. I was working two, sometimes three jobs, and I still wasn't making enough to uh, live on my own and go to school, so I took out a loan. I made a deal. And I didn't just take out a regular loan, like I should have took out maybe a Pell Grant or a government loan, but that wasn't being offered to me at, at the time. What was offered to me was a private loan. Let me tell somebody right now, let me save you a lot of headache in your life. If you're a student and they tell you it's a private loan, run. Run. Just trying to put you on game, game I had to pay for. So. I took this loan out. Obviously, I'm no lawyer, so I wasn't reading the fine print. I wasn't checking things. I was just like, I need money. I need it now. They're going to give it to me fast. So I took this loan, didn't read into it, didn't realize that when I was done, uh, they was going to put me on a balloon payment, so the payment seemed nice up front. And then it gets bigger, it balloons over time. But not only that, the interest rate was terrible. So the amount that I took out by the time it was all said and done, this is how bad the interest rate was. I would have paid double what I asked for in the beginning. Just learn from my mistakes. So I take this thing out, it's a bad deal. But I wanna, I just want, I wanna, I wanna can I testify to you today? I ain't got no more student loans. Y'all heard me say that before. Thank God for the public, uh, public servant loan forgiveness program. I've been working for nonprofits ever since I got out of uh, school, so I paid a part and then I, I, I don't even get a government credit. Jesus wiped the rest of the slate clean. So I don't have debt like that. Pray, praise God, but at the time, When I made that deal, I thought I was making a deal that was going to benefit me, but it ended up hurting me in the long run because they required me to pay back way more, double the amount than I took out the first time. And here's what I want to bless somebody with, and I hope this resonates in your spirit. You can't negotiate with someone that doesn't care about you. You're trying to make these deals with people. If they don't care about you, if all they want is something from you, then you're not gonna have favorable terms. You can't negotiate with somebody that doesn't care about you because the terms will never be in your favor. It's always gonna be in their favor. But maybe that's not your issue. Maybe your enemy is not from without. Maybe your enemy is within and you've been actually not making deals with other people outside. Maybe you've been making deals with yourself. This is, this, is a, this is a touchy thing with people's faith because they love Jesus, but they still bargaining with themselves about how far they can go and what they can do in life. It's like, you know the word. You should just be obedient to it. But because you one foot in, one foot out, it's like, ah, just a little bit more. And then I'm going to come back. Now, hey, 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 hey. Monday, I'm going to turn up. But, hey God, you know on Sunday, I'm coming back. Because now your enemy's not from the outside. Your enemy is from within. What am I talking about? I'm talking about your flesh because the Bible tells me in Galatians that the spirit and the flesh are at odds with one another. They're always fighting. Why? Because Corinthians tells me that God places a deposit of his spirit on the inside of you that guarantees what is to come. What does that mean? God, directly from heaven, takes some of his spirit and puts it right in you. That's why you're alive right now. The best parts of you come directly from God, directly from heaven. I like to say it like this, there's a little piece of heaven inside of you that wants to get back there, right? That's your spirit. It wants the best things for you. They may be hard things, but they're the best thing, but your flesh, it don't want nothing to do with that. Your flesh just wants what's comfortable. Your flesh wants to feel good. Your flesh wants that dopamine hit in your brain that makes you feel good. It's why when they tell us to eat our broccoli and eat our vegetables, we're like, nah, son. Give me that grease, give me that pizza, give me that burger, give me them french fries. Oh, some McDonald's french fries right now would just save somebody. So We want the stuff that tastes good and it's not good for us. Why? Because your spirit is like, you know your blood blood pressure high you should probably eat some carrots but your flesh says if this pizza is wrong i don't want to be right because <laughs> your flesh just wants what it wants all up to the point where it will kill you it'll get you so comfortable that it kills you the flesh wants what it wants so we find ourselves sometimes it's not the enemy outside that we're making a bad deal with. Sometimes we're making bad deals in ourselves, or flesh, and the enemy he operates in our flesh to try to let us get over on our spirit, trying to make us feel good about the bad decisions we making, like we getting over on our spirit, and we'll say things like, "All right, I'm gonna just do this last job." for this money and then I'm done. You know good and well the way you're making money is filing, you shouldn't be doing it that way. And you lie to yourself and tell yourself just one more time and it's okay, knowing that as soon as you run out, you're going to go right back to that same supply. Or, you might come and say, you know what? I promise, God, and like you be telling God about the nonsense deals you be making in your flesh. God, I promise, I'm only going to hook up with her here one last time and then I'm done. No you're not. No you're not. Because you're going to keep on going back to the same nonsense. Why? Because something about it makes you feel good. There's merry folks, and I hope they ain't in this room. But you keep going back to that side piece and then you say, I promise, man, it's going to be the last time. While you got a husband or a wife that's waiting at home for you and you know good and well it ain't the last time. It's just another time for you because you don't want to give up what you shouldn't have for the one that you promised yourself to. And you live in a whole, and and don't get me started on that work husband and that work wife nonsense. You're cheating. Can I just say that? Just to heal somebody? Oh, that's just my work. No, that's not. That's your side piece. That's just my work wife. Oh, no, that's not. Uh uh. The the Bible of Terrence Wilson says, Thou shalt have no other wife except for Joanne Wilson. Work wife or otherwise. She is my own. I have one. I don't even use those words in context to anybody else. See some, some of y'all. Some of y'all playing house when you actually need to go home and save your home. Man, I'ma just let me get back to this. That, that was another one I ain't get a first one, y'all. I just like y'all more. I, 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 I'ma just tell this last lie now. Pray, I'ma i I'm am I'm i am be I'ma be truthful after that. No more. Li- Here's the problem with lies, man. You can't stop at just one. Lies are like Lay's potato chips. Once you tell one, you got to keep telling more to keep the facade going. People do this on social media all the time, man. Like they put out this facade of who they are and then when people ask them about it, they got to keep on saying other stuff so that the lie looks real and eventually, man, you can't even tell a lie from the truth anymore. I promise it's going to be the last one. No, it's not, because you're going to keep telling lies to maintain whatever standard that you've put out there for the world to see. Oh, I I promise, uh, uh, Pastor. I promise. This, this. I'm only gonna hit this one last time. Whatever drug, whatever thing that might be. I was just watching this whole thing on Oxycontin and how it was just as bad as the crack ap- epidemic. People, people were literally robbing stores and robbing people at Gump Point for prescription medication because of its addictive qualities. And all people want, every addict that they show, I pro- this, they showed a dude, he had a whole family, and he was just like, I promise you all, this will be the last time I do this. And he, he pours the pills down the toilet, and then late at night he was sneaking to his car because he had another stash. This is going to be the last time I do it, said every addict ever. Because that's what people that get addicted do. They put up a front and make it seem like this is going to be the last time, but it's only the last time until the next time. Here's what I want you to get. Whether you're making a deal with the enemy or or whether you're making a deal with the enemy that is within, you have to hear this. There is no deal that you can make with the enemy that will stop him from taking what he truly wants from you. Your life. He don't want just a piece of your life. He wants your life. He wants body, mind and soul. He doesn't want some of you. He wants all of you. And that's why Jesus warns us with John 10.10. He says the thief comes to steal kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. I want you to understand if you feel like you're fighting a losing battle today the worst thing you can do is make a deal with the enemy because he won't stop until he has all of what you have to offer him that's why the thing says he comes to steal kill and destroy you know what this is not often preached but it is very true the devil and Jesus have one thing in common both of them want your life they both want your life but the thief comes to steal kill and destroy your life and Jesus says I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly both of them want your life So here's my question to you If you have to give up your life one way or the other Will you give your life to the one that wants to steal from you that wants to kill you that wants to destroy you? Or would you make the decision to give your life to the one that created you that made you that loves you and doesn't want to Just give you life. He wants to give you life more abundantly What's abundance more than you need to do what God has called you to do Jesus says I don't want to just give you a good life. I don't want to just give you a great life. I want to give you the best life, but you got to give all of your life to me. Both of them require your life. So my question is, who you giving your life to? Who you making a deal with? I refuse to make a deal with the enemy because any deal you ever make with him will never be enough for him. But secondly, stop making deals with the enemy. But secondly, stop teaming up with the wrong people. If you're going to preach with me, preach with me. Stop teaming up with the wrong... Finish it for me. Praise God, you're paying attention. Look at this. 2 Kings 18, 19 through 21. So now... Hezekiah, he tries this deal, the deal won't work. He gives the king the money, the king still wants to take him over. So he sends his general, his, his field commander, the Assyrian field commander that I've been telling you about, he sends him to give Hezekiah, Hezekiah's crew, and all the people of Judah a message. Listen to the beginning of this message here. 2 Kings 18, 19 through 21. The field commander said to them, tell Hezekiah, This is what the great king, the king of Assyria says, on what are you basing this confidence of yours? You said you have counsel and the might for war, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Look, I know you are depending on Egypt that splintered reed of a staff which pierces the hand of anyone that leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and all who depend on him. So, let me tell you Hezekiah's second mistake. First he tries to buy the king off. When he realizes that doesn't work, he's like, man, I need an alliance. I need somebody that's gonna partner up with me. I need somebody to help me jump, homie, because I know I can't do it by myself. So, he reaches out to Pharaoh. He reaches out to Egypt. The problem with this is the prophet Isaiah warns him. He's like, man, hey, don't be messing with Egypt, man. He says, they're like a splintered reed. And that's the same language that the Assyrians used against them because they heard what the great prophet had said. So imagine a, stat, imagine a stick that you're holding and it has, it's a wooden stick and it has splinters in it. Imagine putting your hand down and your hand getting caught by those splinters. He says pretty much Egypt, they ain't gonna help you. They are gonna end up just being a thorn in your hand, man. They're not gonna be helpful to you. And I think it's very interesting that not only did Isaiah tell him, but even the enemy told him, hey, the people you teaming up with ain't about nothing. You teaming up with the wrong people. And if you're in a fight for your life, I want you to understand, you gotta make sure you go to war with the right people. Some of us are in a fight of our life and we can't even trust the person standing next to us. We don't know who has our back because the person that said they have our back, when we turn around, they are gone. We're at war with the wrong people. This is why I love what Proverbs 2018 says. It says, plan succeed through good counsel. Don't go to war without wise advice. My mom used to always say, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. She said like this though, because she an island. She, she said, if you hang around garbage, you're going to start to stink. <laughs> what you are around, you will become. So be careful of who you hang around. If you're going to go to war, make sure you got good counsel. So I want to ask you today, who's on your counsel? Because they can either be your greatest asset or your greatest liability. Can you actually trust the people that you are surrounding yourself with today? Here's what's very funny to me about Hezekiah. Bible says, you know, he wins at everything he does, but we see like clearly, this is like the second mistake that he has made. Maybe it's just me. If I'ma look for an ally and I'm Hezekiah, I am a Jewish man, I'm a Hebrew man. If I am Hezekiah, Egypt is the last people I'm going to to be my ally. They la- Why on earth would you go back to people that enslaved your ancestors and think that they are the best option to help you in your time of crisis? Like Moses, with God's help set the Israelites free from Egypt. This is now about 8 to 900 years later and you're saying, "You know what? I know who can help? The people that enslaved me and conquered me the first time." What why do people do stuff like that? You know why people go to people to help them that they ain't got no business going to? In the case of the Israelites, I think they went back to them as I talked to my wife about this between service. I think that they went back to them because they were familiar. You got people that you ain't got no business being around, but you're around them because they're familiar. Yeah these people enslaved you, they hurt you, but you keep going back to them because you know them. How many of us get stuck in relationships that we should have left a long time ago, but you stay in them because the people are familiar. So they go back to the people that once held them as slaves thinking that they were going to be the best help. Why? Because they were familiar. But here's the other thing, man. Like, the reality is Egypt oversold their capabilities. What are you talking about? Well, based upon history, in 671 BC, the Egyptians actually get conquered by the Assyrians. You know how long it takes them to do it? One month. Russia and Ukraine still at war. It's, it's, been, it's been over a year. It took the the Assyrians one month to conquer Egypt with their army. But Hezekiah thought that that was the fighting force he needed to align with when they... did not have the capabilities to stand up to the Assyrians in the first place so what am I saying somewhere along the way Hezekiah had a conversation with Pharaoh and Pharaoh oversold him on what he was able to do for him and why is that an issue because we all know people that oversell stuff we got people in our circle right now and all they do is talk about all the stuff that they could do Hey, they, 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 they big talkers. Let me tell you something. Hey, you get with me, and I promise, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. we going to do this. About a month passed, they took all your money, and they gone. Why? Because they, they talked the big game, but they could not back it up. The Egyptians talked the big game, but could not back it up. Not only do some of us have a problem aligning with familiar people, we have a problem with aligning with people that talk too doggone much, and they don't have the action to back it up. A lot of us align with some big, big, anybody know any big talkers in life? If you're sitting next to them, put your hand down. I don't want them to see. I don't want them to know. It's gonna make for some awkward car rides home. Some of us are linked to people that are literally speaking on things that they could never deliver. And they have deceived you into thinking that they have your back, but when the time comes, you know what you find out they are? A fraud, a fake. It's like, I'm sick of seeing like fake life coaches. Everybody a life coach. And they got their degree from Instagram University. Like everybody, like everybody a life coach. Everybody. They putting this picture up of what their life looks like, but behind the scenes they a mess. And then they did like they don't they don't actually want it. Like listen, I will tell you about the mistakes of my life, and 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 I will tell you about the victories of my life. But listen, listen, I'm not charging you for it. somebody like really 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 wants to bless you and see the best for your life they're not asking for a 9.99 fee every week because if they're for you they're for you if they want to bless you they're gonna bless you right right be, oh yeah, you just pay my fee, you take my online class that they'll never show up to It's a bunch of recordings that they already recorded and then you pray to God that you can, if you do it how I did it, the problem with doing it how somebody else did it is that's not the way that God wanted you to do it. So you're taking all the advice, you watched all the tapes and you purchased them all and you're like, but my life ain't going nowhere because you ain't them. God wanted you to do you, not them. So because you're living the life of a carbon copy instead of an original, you don't get the same result. Stop looking at the fake coaches, the influencers, the get-rich-quick Ponzi schemers. Yes, people still do that in 2023. They want you at the bottom of the pyramid while they stay at the top. And I, I know fa- like I literally have known families that have been broken apart by things like that, man because you're putting your trust in the wrong people they over they are over selling you on who they are. the scammers we live in South Florida there's some scammers down here. People be robbing and scheming and making songs about it. right? <laughs> the hustlers, the pimps, the groomers, the con artists, all these people. A con artist is short for a confidence artist. A con man is a confidence man. They will will put confidence in you. They will oversell you on what they can deliver and they can never deliver what they say they can because they fill you with false hope. False confidence. I just want you to hear, I want you to understand, you do not need to be linked with any and everybody in times of war. Yeah. If you're in the fight of your life, you're in a wartime right now, and some of you just link with the wrong people. You can't just link with anybody. What does the Bible say in Proverbs seventeen seventeen, A friend loves at all times, but a brother, look at your neighbor and say brother. Look at your other neighbor and say brother. A brother is born for times of adversity. I love that it makes the distinction. It says a friend loves at all times. How many of y'all got some good friends? They good and they gonna show you love at all times, but when it's wartime, you don't need a friend, you need a brother. You need a sister. You need somebody that's gonna stand with you that you know will tell you the truth, will hold you accountable, will pray for you, will stand with you, will pick you up when you are down, will encourage you. That's what family does. I, I, I love this because church, man, is a family. Our mission is to build strong families, to build strong futures here at Cool Church. I believe in the power of family. And when I go to war, I got enough friends. I don't need any more friends. When I'm at war, I ain't looking for friends. I'm looking at family. I'm looking for people that's going to stand with me no matter what. I love what Yari and Pastor Joe talked about. They got up here and talked about connect groups. Some of y'all going through the worst moments of your life and you're going through it with nobody when you have a church. Your church is not your family of origin. It is your family of choice. You chose this place you chose to be here so why not choose to get connected to people that are a part of the family that will encourage you that will grow you that will strengthen you that will build you if you are in this house and you are a part of the family and you've been sick and somebody visited you and you've been hurting and somebody came to see you and you've been messed up and somebody prayed for you if that has ever happened to you in this house I want you to raise your hand that somebody from your church family look around and see those hands stepped in and the the time that you are in need because that's what church is supposed to do. We belong to one another, the Bible says. It says, when one mourns, we all mourn. When one is hurting, we're all hurting. When one wins, we all win. That is the beauty and the power of the family of Christ and nothing is more important than family and in the words of the great American hero, Dominique Toretto of the Fast and Furious franchise that has at least 167 consecutive movies back to back, There is nothing more powerful than family. I don't need friends when I go to war, man. I need family. He said, my family's messed up. I'm the black sheep of my family. That's okay. You could be the black sheep. But when you come into church, you're in a house full of sheep. And the thing I love about being a sheep is that I got a shepherd. And I know his voice. And he says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thine are with me. Thy will come from me. Thy rod and thy staff will come from me. So when I'm walking through that valley, when death is on me, if I'm just a sheep, I ain't got to worry. Because I got the shepherd with me. And me and my fellow sheep going to be alright. Because my shepherd is always going to look out for me. If you believe it, say amen. I'm the black sheep. Just be thankful you were sheep in God's house. Because he is the shepherd, amen. When I ain't got nothing, I got family. Get connected to the body of Christ. Because you can't lose on team Jesus, amen. Thirdly. This is probably the largest piece of scripture I'm gonna read today, but I'm gonna break it down to you. Here we go. Third point. So you gotta stop making deals with the enemy. You gotta stop going to war with the wrong people. But thirdly, stop allowing intimidation to cause you to surrender without a fight. Stop allowing intimidation to cause you to surrender without a fight. 2 Kings 18 verses 20 through 30. I'm going to read through it and then I'm going to tell you the tactics that the enemy is using, okay? So this Assyrian field commander, he comes up. He already is like, yo, Egypt's a bad plan. I don't know what y'all was thinking with with that. You align with the wrong people. And then this man goes on, this is why I love the Bible. He goes on the greatest trash-talking rant in all of history. I mean, he's talking junk to Hezekiah's people. Right? And this is what he says. This is, you know, this is the NIV. So I got to kind of break it down along the way to what's happening. So look, Second Kings 18, 22 through 30. Here's the field commander. So if you say to me, we are depending on the Lord our God, isn't he the one whose high places and altar Hezekiah removed, saying, that, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before This altar in Jerusalem, stop. That don't sound like trash talk. It is, because what is he trying to do? He's trying to make them question God. Why? Hezekiah comes in, he removes all the altars, but some of those altars were altars where people still worship God. But Hezekiah was like, you know what? Y'all done put so much nonsense on God's altar, we going to rip it down because we ain't going to contaminate or taint the altars of God by worshiping with our nonsense on it. So Hezekiah was like, we going to have a clean slate. We going to rip it down. The Assyrian field commander, he said, hey... Didn't Hezekiah just rip down your God's altar? So why is God going to be on your side if you rip down the altar? What was he trying to do? He was trying to get them to question if God was pleased with what Hezekiah did. That is a tactic of intimidation. If the enemy can't mess with you, what he's going to try to do is get you to question your faith. Gonna try to get you to question what you believe in. Let me tell you something. He's been using, that's been the first tactic the enemy ever used from the beginning. with well, Adam and Eve, did God really say? Did God really say don't eat the fruit? First tactic the enemy likes to eat, He wants you to question what God said. He wants you to question God's character. Look at the next one. Verse 23. Come now, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses. Listen to this. He said it's sarcastic, and there's an exclamation point on it. He says, if you can even put riders on them. That's how he said it. If you can put riders on What was he trying to say? Your army is trash. It's so small. If we gave you military resources, you wouldn't even have enough people to use them. That's how trash your army is. We could help you, and you would still lose. What do I want you to catch there? I want you to catch the fact that... If he can't get you to question things, you know what he begins to do? He begins to mock you. Oh, you you read that one verse. You think you got enough verses to take me on? You you went to church on Sunday. I know what you like for the rest of the week. You think you think you're doing something as a Christian? The enemy will mock you to try to discourage you. Why? Because the battlefield often is in your mind. Right? Look at the next thing. How how. How can you repulse one officer of the least of my master's officials even though you are depending on Egypt for chariots and horsemen? What's he doing there? Once again, going back to questioning strategy. Some of y'all are like, man, I know I got a God plan. Man, hey, nobody can stop me. This gonna be my winning season. All I do is win. You know what the enemy gonna do? Because he can't mess with your plan, he messes with you and gets you to question your strategy that God gave you. The enemy wants you to take your God plan and turn it into a good plan. Because good plans, sometimes they work, but they don't often work. God plans always work. He wants you to dumb down your, he wants you to question your plan so that you dumb down the plan. Amen? And I don't know what the devil is doing with the lights today, but in the mighty name of Jesus, we're going to preach through it. Whether if you can't see me, I know you can hear me and this word is going to get out in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen? Let me tell you what the devil also likes to deal in. Distraction. He wants you looking at everything else so that you ain't paying attention to the word that's coming forth for you right now. Right? So, he's gonna get you to question your strategy. Look at this. Furthermore, I've come to attack and destroy this place. He says, Have I come to attack and destroy this place without a word from the Lord? Listen to this lie. The Lord Himself told me to march against this country and destroy it. Bull faced lie. The Lord would never say that, and I'm going to tell you why. Because that was the last remnant of his people. Why would God want to eradicate his precious creation? He would never want to do that, especially since they had a leader that was actually doing the will of God. I can promise you this. If you are in God's will, he will not destroy you. Our God is for you. Amen? So now the enemy's so desperate He's just telling blatant lies about God Oh yeah yeah God told me to come And destroy you that is a bold faced lie And when the enemy comes and tells you some nonsense Like that you say I rebuke you in the mighty Name of Jesus Satan Be gone listen sometimes Satan Gonna look like people that's close to you sometimes He might even look like some folks That are in the church that's why Peter When Peter was talking nonsense out the side of his neck Jesus said get behind me Satan I don't care how loyal they look I don't care How good they look but if they are talking down and talking you out of the plan that God has called them to you call them exactly what they are and say get behind me in the name of Jesus and look at this now verse 26 Then Eliakim son of Hilkiah and Sheba and, uh, and, and Joah said to the field commander now they're responding to him because he just talked all his trash and they're responding uh, Hezekiah's three homies please speak to your servants in Aramaic since we understand it. Don't speak to us in Hebrew and hear another people on the wall. So all the people of Judah spoke Hebrew, but some, the upper echelon of society, they spoke in Aramaic because that's what the other nations around them spoke, right, because they had the education and different things to do that. So the the normal, the common folk that spoke in Hebrew, they were there, but they couldn't necessarily understand. So. The Assyrian field commander, he begins to speak in Hebrew so that everybody can hear all the nonsense that he's talking. And Hezekiah's homies are like, man, yo, please, just tell us, man. We'll tell the king, we'll tell the people. We don't need you uh, 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 saying it for them because you ain't going to say it the right way, right? You ever had to speak for somebody because you know they ain't going to say stuff the right way? Yeah. So, look at this. Look at the commander's reply. He was like, but the commander replied. This is a hard diss right here. Was it only to your master and you that my master sent me to say these things and not to the people sitting on the wall. He was like, the king of Assyria said, he want everybody to hear what I gotta say. So he's like, I'm gonna deny your request. I am not gonna speak in Aramaic, I'm gonna speak in Hebrew because I want you and all your homies to hear me. Look at what this man said to the people. If somebody said this to you, now what I'm about to say right now, just think about what your first response is gonna be and then I want you to go to your salvation and think about your second response, okay. If somebody said this to me, I'm from Carroll City. He said, who like you will have to eat their own excrement and drink their own urine? The disrespect. I got to eat my own waste. And you know how people say, I ain't going to say how people say that today. I gotta eat my own waste and drink my, he said that so all, he's like we won't beat y'all so bad that you gonna, you ain't gonna have nothing left and you're gonna have to eat your own waste and drink your own urine. The disrespect, he's trying to get them to question God, he's trying to get them to question their tactics but now he's just at the point, here's another intimidation factor, he's just straight up embarrassing them. Yeah, yeah. Just straight, like like a lot of Christians don't live up to their potential because you're still embarrassed by something because the enemy still calls it out. Oh, you up there praising, but I saw what you was doing on that computer last night. Embarrassment, it should be quiet. I didn't expect a clap for that. Oh, you you, you, you was in Bible study on Wednesday, but you was at your side piece house on Thursday trying to embarrass you, trying to dig up all the things that they could think of to embarrass you. Why can the enemy dig up things from your past? One, because he can read your story. He cannot write your story. So the only ammunition that he has against you is things that have already happened. He cannot tell you your future. Only God knows the future. He says he knows the plans that he has for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope in the future. He says, I wrote down every one of your days before any one of them came to be. So every time you're doing crazy stuff, stuff in your past, actually all you are doing is giving the enemy ammunition to use things that you have already done, but it doesn't matter how much he digs up out the past because he can never tell you what your future is. But they'll try to embarrass you. There's things that people sitting in this room right now, you embarrassed about that you did 10 years ago that God already forgave you for. But because the enemy keeps bringing it back up. It's something I say, oh, man, there's no way God could have saved me because I I haven't even forgiven myself for that. Can you start forgiving your things of the things that God already forgave you of, please? It's going to help you move into your future. So he tries to embarrass them. Then, verse 28, the commander stood and called out in Hebrew, hear my words, the great king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you from my hand and do not let Hezekiah uh, persuade you to trust the Lord when he says the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the Assyrian king. After he embarrasses them, you know what he does? He just tries to make them lose faith in their leader and make them lose faith in God. Don't trust Hezekiah and don't trust God. He, he He ain't gonna come through. You know what he was doing? he was intimidating them. Why? Because he was trying to get them to surrender without fighting. The fight hadn't happened yet in Jerusalem. All we hear right now is a man talking about what's going to happen. How many of you know it's always better if you can win a war without actually having to try to fight? Right? So... Because the field commander knows this, he comes with all these threats to intimidate the people because he's like, man, if I could just get them to give up without fighting, oh man, it's, it's, it's going to be good for me because we won't lose any men. The king's going to be happy. We didn't waste any resources. He wants him to surrender without fighting. This is a master's class in trash talking intimidation. Any basketball fans out there? Dang, y'all, we went to the finals last year. Like, what's happening? Like, we got a pretty good basketball city. I love basketball. It's my favorite sport. And I was born in the 80s and the 90s. So I know I'm probably going to have some fights in the choir with people. That I say what I'm about to say. Michael Jordan's the GOAT. Whoever said amen, you saved. I have no saying that. I have none. I love LeBron, man. hey, dope. I don't take nothing. I don't take nothing away from what he does in, on the court, off the court, greatest score all time, all that stuff. Michael Jordan's my GOAT. Okay, I watched him play, okay? He was something else. But the best part of Michael Jordan's game, other than his gameplay, was his trash talk. He was a supreme trash talker. I watched a video the other day of a guy, his name was Steve Smith, he used to play for the Heat, but he played for the Hawks, he played for a bunch of other teams. He said he was playing one night, he was playing Jordan one night, and he had the assignment to guard Michael Jordan. So he's guarding Jordan, beginning of the game, Jordan gets the ball, crossover, you know, patent to fade away, hits a shot, looks at Steve Smith, says 38, goes back down court, plays defense, comes back up court, gets the ball, does something else, shoots again, looks at him again, says 36, runs back down court, plays defense, couple plays later, comes back, hits a three, 33. He does this to him every play of the game, and Steve Smith, at first he was like, what is wrong with him? What is he on right now? And what's these, Like he wasn't saying nothing else but numbers. Around halftime, Steve Smith caught on to what he was doing. This fool was counting backwards. Uh, how many points he was gonna score on him before the game was over? So when he hit in first two and said 38, he was letting him know when the game started, I'm gonna drop 40 points on your behind. How many points y'all think Michael Jordan ended that game with? All 40. Steve Smith, when he recounts this this story, he's like, man, I ain't gonna front. When I finally realized what he was doing, I was so discouraged. (laughs) He's like, how you defend that? Somebody counting backwards, telling you how many points they are gonna get and actually making good on every shot that they shoot. Like, like you can't recover from that. He was like, man, I, I just, I, I played my hands was down on, I just felt like I, he was unstoppable. Why? Because Michael knew if he could intimidate the enemy, he would have an easy victory. He intimidated him. Here's the thing, intimidation, y'all, if you're not careful, Can force you to give up before the fight even starts. That man had a whole second half of play and gave up because he was intimidated by what his enemy at the time was giving him and the truth is, I want y'all to hear this because this should empower you. The enemy does not want to actually fight you. So he says everything that he can to intimidate you. You know why the enemy don't want to fight you? Because he has no hands. The enemy can't actually fight. You always know the people that can't fight in a fight? Because they do all this. Before the fight, oh, I wish you would. I wish. Oh, 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 that can't be me. Because if it was me, shut up. Because if it was you, you get knocked out. The biggest talkers in the fight are always like, listen, I ain't gonna lie. I, I, I remember growing up, you know what I'm saying, in Carroll City. And, 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 and I remember going up in Northern Middle, East, they had this thing called a out That's what the lunch is. And Lord, Northern middle was different when I was there. Man, we used to have fights in the spillout. It was like lunchtime, everybody just charged up, like somebody getting hurt today. <laughs> the two people that was fighting was always in the middle. Boom, 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 your mama, boom, boom. <laughs> and everybody else was on the outside of the fight. Like if you was on the outside, it was like a cry. like you trying to, and the funniest thing is, while these two people killing each other in the middle, you know where all the talking was? All the people on the outside that's not throwing hands. Oh, he said this about your mama. He did, boom. (laughs) She was talking about you last week. You ain't even fighting. You just on the outside talking. Because that's what talkers do. They will huff, they will puff, and they will not blow your house down. Let me tell you something about the enemy. He is a punk. He has no hands. He cannot fight. So what he will do, he will try to intimidate you. He will talk you out of a fight before it ever even starts. Oh, you're a loser. Oh, God don't love you. Oh, he saw what you did. There's no way he forgave you. Because he knows if you actually believe that greater is he that is in me than he is in the world if you actually believe that then you know that he is already lost when Jesus said it is finished on the cross of Calvary he lost a long time ago you already won so if you can lean on the winner that lives in you named Jesus then all the enemy has to do is back down but if the enemy can intimidate you and just force you to stay down then he's won he's so scared of people when they actually get up and put that set up some of you Got your hands down when God's saying put your hands up, you've already won. He's just trying to scare you, he's just trying to intimidate you. But if you actually get up and go toe to toe, I promise you, you won't even have to throw one punch because the enemy's gonna run before you even land the first hit. If you believe it, say amen. He talks. prevent you from fighting because he knows he can never defeat a child of God. That verse in John, 1 John 4, 4 that I just read, it starts like this. You dear children. Who is this addressed to? Are from God. If you are God's child all the enemy can do is talk to intimidate you. Because if you actually knew the power you had in you to fight... The enemy don't want it with you. Like he knows better. He's like, I'm going to mess with these people that don't know God because they ain't got God living in them. But these people that do, if they recognize the power in them, I'm going to just leave them alone. Listen, you Pastor the devil beat me up, not me. He don't want it with me. He get mad when I wake up every day. He got out of bed again. Oh my gosh. Yup. I'm going to take it to his throat every time. Why? Because I'm not scared. I realize his intimidation tactics. Those things might have worked on me when I was a young man, but I'm telling you, this is why you got to get off spiritual milk and start eating some spiritual meat. Because when you mature in God, the devil, all he can do is taunt you, but he cannot touch you. Oh, man. I wish it was some people that would preach with me today. Mm -mm -mm. He talks to prevent you from fighting. Because when you're a child of God, says, it says, are from God, and I love that verse, it says, and have overcome them. He doesn't say, and will overcome. So God's telling, hey, if you're a child of God, you already won. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one that is in the world. That verse is talking about false prophets, by the way, and people that are against God. And he's like, hey, if you're my kid, you've already won, and I am greater than everybody else that's out there that's going to come against you. And if I live in you, that means you are greater than anybody else that would ever come against you. Never fall for intimidation when you have a greater fight in you than the one that is intimidating you, amen? And lastly, this this short and sweet. You gotta know, stop making deals with the enemy. Stop teaming up with the wrong people. Stop allowing intimidation to cause you to surrender without a fight. And this is the most complex. Stop talking. Tell me I all talk too much. Stop talking. Talk way too much about what you're going to do. Stop talking. Just stop. Stop talking. 2 Kings 18.36. I told you about all the stuff that Hezekiah got wrong. Let me tell you what he got right. So after this dude talks all this trash just a Syrian field commander you would think if somebody told me I got to go eat urine uh, eat eat feces and drink urine I'm from Carroll City I'm probably going to pop off that's just me like try Jesus don't try me right but not Hezekiah's people I love this 2 Kings 1836 But the people, I love this, remained silent and said nothing in reply because the king had commanded, do not answer him. Hezekiah wasn't there but he gave them boys a command and he gave everybody in the kingdom a command. I don't care what these fools say to you next, don't say nothing. Just just stay quiet. Whatever they say is what they say. I need you to not respond. Ultimately, Hezekiah knew there is no reasoning with the enemy. So he commanded the people never respond to the enemy. Never, if some of y'all just got that in your spirit, it would change your whole life. Stop responding to the enemy. You know the easiest way to frustrate somebody? When they text you, leave them on red. Like, <laughs> Lord forgive me. Like somebody ever sent you like a long paragraph and you just ain't had, like you just ain't had energy. And you saw it. You know you saw it. They know you saw it too. Well, you know when somebody's really mad, when they text you something long, you leave them on red, and then they text you another paragraph. That's when you know they mad. I know this fool's scene. why you ain't responding to me. Right? The easiest way to frustrate somebody is to not respond. Is to not respond. Why? Because it's impossible to have an argument if there's only one person involved. Unless you're crazy. Then you're arguing with yourself. It's impossible. It's impo- Like, I, I see it, man. I, I like to call them the keyboard warriors. They get on the gram, they get on Facebook, they get on Twitter, they get on all this stuff. And you just minding your business, living your life. And you post something and that ain't got nothing to do with nobody. Why you did, why you did, what you did. I don't like how you said. I'm like, I ain't ask you. I, I, I like I I, ain't, I like. And what bothers me even more is when the same people that were just putting up stuff. Just to live their best life. When people say something, they come back with the craziest responses. I'm like, why are you, why are you fighting these people on your phone? Like, what, what did you get from? Oh, I'm about to get. Like, you ever, you ever like? Sometimes I ain't gonna lie. I just like Instagram just for the comments. I will go and I will see like wars people are having in the comment section. Yo, mama, this is. I'm like, yo, what is going on with y'all? They having whole battles. What frustrates me even more is when Christian people do it. We just had a crazy post at Cool Church, went viral. Yari two Tumiliaburu is what I call her. She preached her guts out the other day. And this thing went viral, man. If you, listen, you want some good entertainment? Just go look at the comments. Go to the comments. It's people that love Jesus in these comments. Talking Crazy. I love God, but don't let me see you in these streets. What? What, what you talking about? You, talk, you talking reckless. You talking crazy. And the reality is, people are only arguing because people are responding to them. Half the time, the people you responded to ain't even real. They're bots. They're, they're whatever. Whatever the kids are calling them these days. They're not real. You're responding to things that aren't even real because people want to push your buttons to see how far they can get you to go outside of God's will for your life. What, like, Christian men and women, man, let me just ask you something. I know I'm talking about social media, but it happens in real life too. Like, why you dignifying ignorant people with a response? That's why I love Hezekiah. He was like, hey, what he gonna say is ignorant? Don't worry about it. Don't even dignify him with a response the Bible tells us do not cast pearls to pigs you know why it says that it's like don't waste the jewels that God has given you to people that don't care about them there's some stuff that you got that's so good inside of you and you want to give it to some people and I don't care how how good you are or how good the thing that is that you have some people will never receive what you have to give them I've been preaching for the last 18 years of my life some people take it some people leave it but let me tell you something I I preach because God's called me to it. I don't care what you think about me in the process. I got a lot of haters. And you know what I tell them? Send your hate to care.com and I will promptly not respond. Because I don't have time in my life to waste on people who will try to intimidate me when I know that my God is for me. So I just stay quiet. Pastor, why you ain't respond to that? I don't have to. Why do I need to respond when God is the king of responses? He says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I ain't gonna take that away from God. Hey, God, whatever you want to do. You wanna bring lightning down? That's on you, man. I just want to watch. I'm gonna let God, I'm gonna be me, and I'm gonna let God be God. I don't need to respond. Like the word of the Lord for somebody today is shut up. That's not nice, Pastor. Be quiet like stop some of you are talking yourself out of victory because you're wasting your time trying to combat the enemy with your words when jesus says be silent don't say like do you really think you're the first human on the earth that has ever suffered in silence i can't be silent. i gotta say something no you don't like jesus said they will persecute you because of me because of me if they did what they did to Jesus, what do you think they're going to do to you? And if they did what they did to Jesus, and we know that they're going to do stuff to us, what I love is that Jesus gives us an example to follow. Because we are not the first humans that have ever walked this earth and suffered. And we're definitely not the first humans that have ever walked this earth and suffered in silence. This is what I love about the book of Isaiah, the prophet. Because he speaks of the one that before me and you ever went through anything, he went through everything. And I love what he says about him. In Isaiah 53 7, he says, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before the shears is silent so he did not open his mouth. Twice in one verse, the Bible says shut up. It Says stop, stop talking because Jesus was the only innocent man in all of history. He looks death in the face and he does it in silence. But there are so many of us that feel like we gotta say something when Jesus is trying to teach us a very clear lesson. Why did Jesus go to death in silence? Because Jesus knew his mouth could not say what his sacrifice could. I'm trying to help somebody in life. You talking too much right now and your words can never say what your sacrifice can God, I'm trying to go through it, but they talking about me. He says, don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Just keep your eyes fixed and focused on me. You ain't even got to say nothing. But God, it's hard. It's supposed to be hard. But here's the thing. You they gotta tell your haters watch this watch me all you gotta do is keep on walking because if you keep on walking even in silence they're gonna see the progress that you make so you don't have to say watch me with your mouth as you move forward in life your progress will say watch me watch me and I love it because when they see you if you're actually walking the right way they won't just see you they are gonna see the God in you so when you're walking forward and you're improving and you're being blessed, and you're going from glory to glory, ultimately, you ain't got to say nothing that will bring attention to you because your action, your sacrifice will bring attention to God. If you believe it, say amen. Don't say it with your words. Say it with your sacrifice. Some of you are talking when your sacrifice speaks louder pastor that's hard let me tell you something today if you want to win a losing battle Hezekiah man looked like he was about to lose and next time I come back I'm going to tell you how he ended up winning in the end but if you want to win a losing battle never surrender to the enemy surrender your life to Jesus and he will shut the enemy up once and for all You ain't got to say nothing to them. Just be quiet. Surrender it all to Jesus. And all the people that's talking about you, eventually, they ain't going to be left with nothing to say. Because Jesus will shut them up for you. With every head bowed, every eye closed. Thank you so much for listening. To hear more messages like this one, please be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel. And if you like what you heard, please consider sharing with your friends because it helps so much. Don't forget to connect with us at our website, thecoolchurch.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at We Are Cool Church. And always remember that you were created out of love.